Micah chapter 6, I'll begin reading at verse 6, down to verse 8. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings and yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. And then also, question, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 16. Confession of Faith 16 of Good Works, section 1. Good works are only such as God hath commanded in His holy word, and not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. Number 2. These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits of and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit, unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. Number three, their ability to do good works is not at all of themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ, and that they may be enabled thereunto, beside the graces they have already received. There is required an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them to, to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yet are they not hereupon to grow negligent, as if they were not bound to perform any duty, unless upon a special motion of the Spirit. But they ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace of God that is in them. Number four, they who, in their obedience attained to the greatest height which is possible in this life, are so far from being able to supererogate and to do more than God requires, as that they fall short of much which in duty they are bound to do. Number five, we cannot by our best works merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God by reason of the great disproportion that is between them and the glory to come, and the infinite distance that is between us and God, whom, by them, we can neither profit nor satisfy for the debt of our former sins. But when we have done all we can, we have done but our duty and are unprofitable servants. And because, as they are good, they proceed from his spirit, and as they are wrought by us, they are defiled and mixed 
with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's judgment. Number six, notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. Number seven, works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter of them they may be things which God commands, and of good use both to themselves and others, yet because they proceed not from an heart purified by faith, nor are done in a righteous manner according to the word, nor to a right end the glory of God, they are therefore sinful and cannot please God or make a man meet to receive grace from God. And yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing unto God. Amen. So the outline um, tonight is sevenfold, just from these paragraphs. I want to take us here through the meaning of these seven sections uh, on good works. Here I'm going to briefly just outline these, and then I'm going to go into detail of each of them, all right? So here's the, here are the seven points that our confession is trying to make. Point number one, good works are defined by God. Good works are defined by God. That is, God determines what's a good work and what isn't. Number two, good works are defined by God's word, and they are an evidence of faith. That's the point of section two. Good works are defined by the word of God, and they are evidence of true Christian faith. Number three, good works come from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Good works come from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Number four, get ready for this big word, boys and girls here, okay? See, I'm prepping you for your SAT, even on the Lord's Day evening. No works of supererogation, <laughs> okay? No works of supererogation. Yes, I'll define that for you in a moment. All right, that means you can't do more than God has commanded so that you get some merit accrued, all right? Can't go, can't do, even if you do everything God tells you to do, You've just only done that. You did what you were supposed to do, okay? Um, we haven't done anything more. Number four, uh, excuse me, number five. Uh, good works are never a ground for salvation. For Good works are never a ground for justification or salvation, okay? Number six. Nevertheless, your good works in Christ are acceptable to God. Your good works in Jesus Christ are acceptable to God. And then finally... Works without faith are sinful, but less sinful than if they had been altogether neglected. Good works without faith are sinful, but they are less sinful than if somebody neglected to do the good works to begin with. All right, those are the seven points of the confession here. So Micah chapter 6, that's where we started here in verse 6 and 8. Notice here that the prophet says, does the Lord delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? 
the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And of course, that is a rhetorical question. Uh, the answer is no, that the Lord does not take delight simply in the mere sheer number of uh, animal offerings, nor in how much oil, even if you could produce rivers of oil and offer them to the Lord, or if you were to present your firstborn, that could not atone for sin. And so he says, he has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? And he says, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, here we see that the prophet is not acting contrary to the doctrine of justification. He believes, Micah surely believes, in justification by faith in Christ. I mean, we know that earlier in this book, he tells us of the Messiah who is to come, who is born in Bethlehem. That comes from this very book. So Micah was always pointing the people to Jesus Christ for their salvation. Nevertheless, we see here that Micah is saying uh, that what does the Lord want? He wants good works. Okay, so now we're going to explain this, uh, what that means and what it doesn't mean here. But good works are good in the sight of God. Uh, loving justice and righteousness and walking humbly before God and loving mercy, these are things that are uh, acceptable in the sight of God. So first of all, in the first section, the uh, Westminster Divines, first of all, say, well, we have to say, what is a good work? Obviously, Micah here is asking that question in some regard, isn't he? Is, if I produce a river of oil, is that a good work? If I give my firstborn uh, to sacrifice, is that a good work? And of course, the answer to that is no, because God does not define good works by such sacrifices here. Many times in the Bible, we saw people offer sacrifices which were not good, boys and girls. Uh, when we were going through the book of Kings, do you all remember uh, King Uzziah? He was otherwise, he was a good king in many ways, but he made a tragic mistake. He offered to God, you'll remember, incense that kings were not supposed to offer. Remember, that was reserved for the priests to offer, for the sons of Aaron to offer kings. Yes, there was a separation of church and state, even in the Old Testament. There was a distinction between the office of the king and the office of the priest. And, and the, but Uzziah did what? He, he began to offer it, and God punished him, because that was not a good work, and God will be treated as holy. So Uzziah had to spend the rest of his days as a leper. Uh, in Exodus chapter 32, the children of Israel, Aaron, builds a golden calf. Good work? No. Because God has said what? The second commandment says, Thou shalt not make any graven images. Uh, and God does not want to be represented by a cow or an ox. Surprise, surprise, right? God is holy. You will worship God in spirit and truth. God never told Aaron to make a, a golden calf, but what did they think? They thought, oh, this is a good sacrifice. We'll give our gold. We'll, we'll, give, you know, we'll give up our gold earrings and rings and, and gold coins that we have, and we'll throw them into a pile, and out will come this golden calf. And that was not a good work at all. That was a work of evil. Leviticus 10, you know Nadab and Abihu? What did they do? They brought a strange fire as an offering to the Lord. God had not commanded them to make a strange fire, did he? No, they, God, they were always supposed to keep the fire on the altar burning. Remember, the fire came from heaven. 
And it was the duty of the people of God to keep that fire going. They were not supposed to be bringing strange fire of their own creation. They were to be very careful not to bring a strange mixture of incense. God had specifically said the proportions of incense uh, and, and, and the spices in that incense that he wanted. In fact, they were not supposed to use that same proportion for anything else but for the temple. So what did God do? He consumed Nadab and Abihu. But we can look at church history and we see how in church history, people have done strange things uh, that they think is a good work. You know, every Easter, there always seems to be that article on the Drudge Report or something every Easter that some guy or some people in the Philippines are crucifying themselves or on, a, on a wooden cross as some kind of demonstration of zeal and piety to God. Now, has God commanded us to, to be, have nails driven through our hands and feet uh, on, on a cross? No, at Easter time, no. Uh, now, now, that admittedly takes a lot of zeal <laughs> to do something like that. We would agree with that, but that's a zeal without knowledge. And, and it's a zeal done in ignorance to God. God is not pleased with that at all. God desires that, that we believe on the sacrifice that his son has given to us here. So that's not a good work. Uh, there have been people in church history, and even today, who go up the, the staircase in Rome. The staircase is called uh, uh, Scala uh, Spa, Santa. Scala Santa. There's two words in Latin, S-C-A-L-A, and then the second word, S-A-N-C-T-A, for those taking notes. It's translated holy stairs, and they are 28 marble stairs that go up a part at the Vatican, and nobody is allowed to walk up those stairs. The only way you go up those stairs are on your knees, and, and each time you go up a step on your knee, you're supposed to say, you know, another set of prayers. Uh, and why? Well, these stairs supposedly led, these, these were the stairs that led to the praetorium of Pontius Pilate that Jesus himself walked up uh, as he went to his trial. Now, again, does God tell us that we should do something like this? Well, some people believe the answer is yes. They go on pilgrimages to Rome and they actually do things like that. But that, that's not in the Bible. Uh, boys and girls, God has never commanded us to do anything like that. You find other strange things in church history. People um, would cut themselves or flagellate you know, themselves as, as to a, a means of um, afflicting their body. Um, and the Bible warns against this, that, that the harsh treatment of the body doesn't do anything uh, for sanctification. Uh, that's not what God has commanded for us to grow in grace, and yet people do that. So a good work has to be defined by the Bible. There are people who try to get us to do all kinds of things in the name of religion or in the name of Christ even that are not in the Bible. So uh, young people, you always want to examine, is this a practice that we find either by precept, that is command, or is it found in the Bible by way of description? It needs to meet one of those two tests. It needs to be there by precept or by an example. Otherwise, it may be spurious. It may be something that is not a good work at all. So that's the first paragraph there. Then the second one is like unto it, as they say, uh, and that is this, that, the good, that good works uh, defined by God in point number one, they are now more specifically the Westminster's defined 
divines say that it is defined by God's word or law. And the second thing they add to that is that it is an evidence of faith. So the works, point number two, good works that are truly good works, when they are done according to God's law, they show themselves to be an evidence of faith. James takes this up that works must accompany faith. Faith without works is a spurious faith. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul says that we were predestined, we were elected in Christ for the purpose of what? We were created in Christ for good works. So good works, we don't want to be afraid of that thought, that, that idea that Protestants uh, and I think we're, we're sometimes fearful of good works because we're concerned about, obviously, the error that accompanied the Roman church in the late Middle Ages. They, they believed good, good works were a part of our justification. But, but good works are not a part of the justification, but they are an evidence that you are justified. They are an evidence of justification. In John chapter 15 and verse 8, the Lord Jesus Christ said that we would be united to him and our union with him would bear much fruit. Abide in me, Jesus says. Abide in my word that you might, what? Bear much fruit. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Also, the Westminster divines say that not only does it evidence faith, but it gives silence uh, to the ignorance of foolish people. People want to badmouth the church. People want to say, you know, bad things about us and, and uh, because of what we believe. But good works help put the shh in the criticism. That as they see your good works, they what? They glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then also that we are told in Titus chapter 2, uh, verse 5 and following, that uh, our profession of faith in Jesus Christ is to be adorned, the Apostle Paul says. Adorned with what? Well, adorned with those things that God would have us do. So it's an evidence of faith, um, and it is there to glorify God, to shush the criticism of others, and to also adorn our own profession of faith. Then, thirdly, we see here that it is a work of the Spirit. Now, this goes with something that we've seen, I think, thematically over the last couple of chapters. And, and that is that um, the, 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 the works are, uh, good works are a product of the Spirit, though they're not necessarily the, the ground for our justification. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are united to him by faith. Paul speaks of this union of Christ uh, in terms that even we are seated with him in the heavenlies. Very strange phrase there that here we are on earth in this world and yet we yet are united to him who is in a, in a world of glory. But this union, this mystical union between the believer and our Savior produces fruit in our lives. So for example, look at... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 and following, the Apostle Paul speaks about his own ministry here with regard to his own works. 
And this was important because, you know, people were saying, oh, you know, he's not a real apostle or he's not a super apostle. I know he might be an apostle, but I know some super apostles. And Paul is always having to defend himself uh, in the light of criticisms from others. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, he here speaking about how he was called to be a genuine apostle, even though he didn't participate in the earthly ministry of Jesus, like the others, he said, um, he said, I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, verse 9, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, that is by union with Jesus Christ, I am what I am, and by his grace toward me, uh, excuse me, and his grace toward me did not prove what, vain or empty, but I labored even more than all of them. But notice the next phrase here, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul said, I, I was like somebody who was late to the party. I was going to make up for it. I was going to work extra hard. I wasn't there in Jesus' ministry, and I wasn't even there in the early days. I was persecuting the church, but God, by his grace, called me to himself. And ever since then, I've been like a man with his hair on fire. I worked harder than them all. Now, he's not, you know, trying to boast in a sense that, um, you know, he, he therefore is more worthy. He said, what? I'm the least of the apostles. But he's telling us an important truth, though. He did work harder than the others. He worked night and day. Um, didn't have a home life. Didn't have domestic life. Didn't have a wife. Didn't, he gave himself completely to the, to the ministry of the Lord. But then he said, what? But through it all, it wasn't really me. It was the work of the Holy Spirit laboring in me and through me. It was the grace of God within me that enabled me to work like that. Now, the, the, the Westminster Divines then have a very interesting pastoral application from this teaching. They're emphasizing what? You do good works by the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. So then what is the pastoral admonition? But don't just sit there and wait for some kind of motion of the Spirit to get your rear off the couch and do something for Christ. That is, you have a responsibility. Yes, it is the Spirit of God at work in you. But this is a synergistic work. Synergistic work. It is a cooperative work. It means that you have a responsibility before God to do those things which God has commanded you to do. And you can't say, well, I'm just going to lie here until I feel the Holy Spirit move on me. I know somebody needs help right now, but I'm not feeling it. <laughs> we are to do those things that we know God has called us to do. We're not to be negligent in good works saying, well, they're, they're, it's the work of the Spirit, and it's up to the Spirit. Hey, the wind blows where he does, and, you know, I'll just sit here until I feel a breeze. Um, no, we, we are to do what? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, Fan into flame the gift of God. Timothy, you received 
at, the, at your ordination, the laying on of hands, the blessing of God, the Spirit of God was placed upon you at that ordination. But you need to be a diligent minister. You need to work and exercise the gifts that God has given you and not let them go dormant. I say this in my own conviction with Greek and Hebrew. I need to work on my Greek and Hebrew and keep that up, keep that going. You have been given certain gifts and you need to fan those gifts into flame. This is our responsibility. It's not the responsibility of God alone. It is our responsibility with the Spirit of God to do these things. Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2, verse 12, we are told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So that means that we work out of that salvation, out of that grace that God has given to us to save us. We work out what? The, the works, the good works that need to be done. So that's the third section there. And the fourth section here is th this. Now this, this is, as often happens in the Confession of Faith, remember this is a historical document, and so they're writing to a particular church at a particular time, and of course, one of those things that they're concerned about, Roman Catholicism. Because the, remember, the Reformation is still only 100 and, you know, depending on where you want to put it, 130 years out, 140 years out, okay? So the, the Reformation um, is still, fairly historically speaking, fresh. And the Roman Catholic Church had a view of good works that went like this. You're supposed to do good works, uh, and good works will contribute to your justification. Good works, as you grow in good works, that will mean you're closer and closer to being justified um, in the sight of God. Now, what they would say is that there are some people, very few in number, who get elevated usually eventually to, the, to sainthood after they die. But they did so many good works and, and good works of such quality that not only do they merit their own justification, but they have extra credit left over that the church can distribute to those who are in need. If you'll pay an indulgence, for example, you can get some of that merit from the treasury of merit. Well, where is this merit? Where did it come from? Where did it accrue from? It came from the deposit made by certain saints who did works of supererogation. That is, they did works supposedly beyond what anything God had commanded them to do. Now, the Bible does not teach that. If we do everything God asks us to do, we've only done what he's asked us to do. Okay? We, we you know, if, if, if mom <laughs> says to you kids, you know, clean up your room, and you do it, well, great. You know, good boy, good girl. Well, that's not a work of supererogation, okay? That's, you just did what you were supposed to do living under this roof, okay? That's, that's expected of you, okay? That is, that is not some work. Now, if you're two years old and, you know, you, you clean up your room, maybe that's extra praise, okay? They're two years old, okay? But, you know, if you're 14, come on. That's what you're supposed to be doing, you know? Anyway, it's, it, it is not a, a great work uh, that gets you extra merit in the sight of anybody. Um, but um, you, you are what the Bible says, an unprofitable servant. That's the, really the way it is with God. God is 
so holy and righteous, if we actually did everything God had told us to do, we've just done what we were told to do. We were, you know, you, you tell a servant to do something and you expect them to do it. You pay somebody to do something, you expect them to do it. Um, and, you know, we generally don't say, man, that, you know, thank you, here, here's more uh, than what you agreed to. Uh, so there, there is no work of super arrogation. That's not humanly possible. Why? Well, because of the remaining corruption within us. Even our best works are still tainted with sin. Let's say you do something that God does command. Let's say you do it to the glory of God. That's your chief motive. Uh, let's say you do it for the good of others. And that is too part of your motivation. And you do it and you do it successfully. Nevertheless, our good works are always uh, done with a mixture of righteousness and error. That is, be, until we are glorified, we will not be able to perfectly do what is really a good work in, in the truest sense, because God is so holy that these works cannot stand, as the confession says, the severity of his judgment. Well, should we just give up then, Pastor? I mean, if I can't do anything to please him, you know, no, that's not what the Bible says, and nor the confession. The Bible does not say that. It just says you can't do a work that earns merit. You can do works that please your father, though. And that's the point of the next section. Um, oh, no, it's not. It's two sections away. But I'll, I'll go ahead. I'm there. That your works are acceptable because they are in Jesus Christ. That the mediatorial work of Jesus does make what you do for the Lord acceptable in his sight. The blood of Christ washes the taint of sin in those good works. And I've shared this with you before. You take this worship service. That's a good work, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's part of God's commandment. We, part of that is the public observance of God's worship in his house. So we come and we offer the offerings of praise and thanksgiving and listen to God's word. And that's good. Hey, have you ever had a perfect worship service? Have you ever read uh, all the hymns or sung all the hymns and psalms perfectly, focusing on every solitary word there to the perfect understanding and glory of God? No, you're like me. <laughs> and I, I'm amazed at what I can read or sing and then I have to say, wait, what did I just sing? Because why? My mind just wandered away. Now, I was not glorifying God in that moment, was I? God, we have asked God to be in this place. We've called upon his name and we expect his presence here and then we get distracted. And we, 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 don't, we don't always do it the way we should. We don't do it to the best of our ability. We don't prepare ourselves like we offer. And there's all kinds of imperfections in our worship. And, and you know, our worship service um, is accepted, though, by God because of Christ. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we would be like Nadab and Abihu. And, and the fire from heaven would fall on us. But it doesn't because of the work of Jesus Christ. Our, our works, the weaknesses of them, are forgiven and pardoned and cleansed. And yet they are truly righteous in the sight of God. They are acceptable to God. So your worship is acceptable. Now, as I said, that means we do need to work at worship. We need to work on worshiping better. 
We need, to, we need to focus at the Lord's table. We need to pray. We need to examine ourselves. We need to remember what we're doing here, not just go through the motions, putting bread in my mouth and wine in my mouth and moving on. We need to think, this is the body of the Lord. This is the blood of the Lord. This is my salvation. This is Jesus Christ. This is my hope. This is my security. This is my foundation for life and for eternity uh, right here. We need to focus on all those things and, and more. Uh, we need to pray when the pastor's praying. Um, you know, I try to make the prayers interesting, but listen, um, we, you know, everybody's mind wanders. I didn't realize that, but we, we, when you find your mind wandering, say, Lord, forgive me, help me to keep focusing here. Got to keep praying, listening to what the elder is praying or the pastor is praying, uh, because those are not just the pastor's individual prayers. These are the prayers of God's people, uh, of all of us. And so we're to be praying together. Uh, in those prayers, and, and, and we need to focus on those prayers and, and, and work at producing better praying, better, better works in prayer for God. Uh, listening to the Word of God, same thing. I got to focus. I got to listen. I got to, I got to meditate. I got to, you know, go home and, and think about these things and talk about these things. Um, get profit out of this. The Lord's Day. You know, am I really setting aside everything except? The things of necessity, or uh, do you really have to do that today? Or can that wait? You know, um, we need to use the Lord's day, make it a good work. But even all that is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ when we do it imperfectly. Who's had a perfect Sabbath? None of us. Who has forever, you know, kept uh, his words, works, and thoughts, uh, you know, completely on the Lord the whole of the day? Uh, and didn't give in to worry about work or bills or something else that, you know, was on our agenda. Um, but yet, nevertheless, in Christ, it is forgiven. And we just pick ourselves up and try to continue in the works that the Lord has had us to do. You remember, um, we just saw this a couple weeks ago uh, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6. Uh, but let me just refresh our memory here from about two Sundays ago. Hebrews chapter 6. Um, Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. And then verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name. Notice here, one of the ways that we continue in perseverance is by the encouragement that God does remember our works and that the works are testimony and evidence of faith and that we should be encouraged by that, knowing that God is pleased with those things. Now, as I said here, this is never, though, the ground of justification. And we've seen this theme for the last three weeks, that whether it's faith or repentance or good works, None of these things is a ground for our justification. The ground of our justification is always the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ in Christ alone is always the ground. Even the faith is a gift from God in which we place uh, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 8, 
Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And then he says, Not as a result of what? Of works, so that no one may boast. That is, the grace you've been given didn't come because of your works. Even your faith was given to you by the grace of God. So that you would what? So that you would boast in nobody but in Jesus Christ. But then he goes on in the next verse. He says, yet you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you see both points there. Your works, excuse me, the grace of God did not come to you as a result of your works. And yet you are created for works. You, it is never the ground of your salvation, but it is the fruit of your salvation. And then finally, let's just close here with the final section, section 7. And this is an interesting one, and that is works without faith. And this is, a, this is interesting because it, we all experience it because we all know friends and neighbors and coworkers who may not be Christians, and yet they are what? We would call them what? Good people, wouldn't we? We would, we would call them good people. Why? Because they do things that are good and, and helpful. And, and, and so theologically, what the Westminster Divines are trying to explain here is how do we understand non-believers who appear to do these things which we would call good? Well, the first thing, they say several things about this. They, first of all, they say this that nothing can be truly considered good apart from faith in the Lord. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we have to begin theologically there. So what does that mean for non-Christian neighbors and friends who do these things that we would consider to be good works? What we have to say is that they are unacceptable to God and the confession even goes on to say they are sinful in the sight of God because they do not do these things with an eye towards God. They do not do them for the glory of God. They are not motivated by the gospel of God. And therefore, they ultimately have to be rejected by God. That, without, with, that which is without faith um, is unacceptable to God. We please God by faith in Him, in trust in Him, and that not in ourselves. We have to acknowledge, though, that people do good things. So how do we understand this? If they do good things for themselves and others, as the Westminster Divines rightly acknowledge, why then are they called sin? Well, this is where we get to the doctrine, really, of what is known as common grace. Common grace teaches us that sometimes people who are unregenerate, people who do not serve the Lord but serve themselves and idols, nevertheless can do things that are good by God's common grace. So, for example, I'll give you some examples from the Bible. In 1 Kings chapter 21... We see Ahab. Now, boys and girls, was Ahab a good king? Was he a good man? No. He killed Nadab, uh, didn't he? He, he, um, he or, um, no, not Nadab. 
Is it Nadab? No, not Nadab. Ha! He took his garden, his neighbor's garden. My mind is going blank. Um, maybe it's Nahu. Anyway, he took his garden. He murdered. Uh, he was the promoter of idolatry in northern Israel. And yet, when God rebuked him for a particular sin, it says that Ahab humbled himself. And because of that, God said he would withhold the judgment and would visit that judgment in the generation that was coming, not in Ahab's day. Uh, and, and so, well, what do we say uh, to that? Well, we say that sometimes unbelievers can do things that are good. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul speaks of people who are able to give to the poor and their body to the flames, and yet, what? He says, without love, they are nothing. So apparently you can give and be the most generous man on the planet, helping the poor and sacrificing even your own health and well-being in the cause of serving other people. But it ultimately is for naught if you have not Jesus Christ. Paul says that without love, we are nothing but empty sounding gongs and clanging cymbals. Why then do people do these things? Well, the Bible says they do them for their own glory. Jesus said they, such people have their, already have their reward in full. The person who does the good work of uh, making a demonstration of his giving in the sight of others to be recognized by others. They have their reward, Jesus says, because they're getting no reward in heaven. They get their reward of being praised by men. But here's what's interesting is that while works without faith is sin, neglecting to do those works is even more sinful. So the confession really gives unbelievers no quarter, do they? You're damned with your so-called good, so good works, and you're more damned if you don't do them. Now, that might cause some people to despair and say, well, then I give up. But that's not what the Bible would say we are to do. The Bible doesn't say give up. The Bible says repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not to despair of doing good works, but you are to turn to Jesus Christ as your mediator, as your high priest, as your substitutionary atonement, and believe on him, repent of those sins, and out of faith and love towards him to do those good, good works. You see, the problem, if you go back even uh, to the first children of Adam and Eve, is what? One of them was doing a good work. He was bringing an offering that was acceptable to God. Abel was bringing a good work. Cain, Cain's offering was not acceptable to God. There was a deficiency in it. There was a lack of faith in God, a lack of trust in the Lord. And Cain, though, did not repent, though, did he? He, he said, no, unless I can do the works on my terms, I'm not going to offer them. And instead, what did he do? He killed the witness to Jesus Christ by killing his brother, he killed the only hope that any of us have 
uh, in this world, namely the work of Christ, so that we can do real good work.